Hello and welcome. My name is Robert Jeffrey and I'm welcoming you to Our Voices, Our Community, presented by Colors VA Magazine. This podcast is to talk about the issues relevant on the national and state and local levels about us, about our voices, and about what we're talking about that is relevant to our community. Uh, to our community. Um, today, I have five uh, individuals here today to talk about issues in our community. Uh, I start with myself, Robert Jeffrey. I will be your moderator and host. Um, today, we have uh, Scott Terry Cabler. Uh, we have Trish White Boyd. We have Jose Bonelos. Am I said that right? Yes. <laughs> All right. And I have Catherine Strongberg, who would be um, in uh, absence of William Solari. And I appreciate you coming today. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's take a few, mo- f- few moments to talk about who you are and what you're doing in the community and just tell a little bit about yourself. So we'll start with Scott. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you guys for the invitation. Uh, I don't get those very often anymore. Uh, my name is Scott Terry Cabler. I'm a Roanoke native, William Fleming graduate, attended George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. Um, I am a staunch Democrat. I'm not a independent Democrat. I'm not a kind of sort of Democrat. I am a Democrat. And that's what I bring uh, to this discussion are my democratic views uh, that doesn't exclude anyone, but that's pretty much who I am. I'm the former chairman of the board for Total Action for Progress here in Roanoke and a local real estate investor. Okay, thank you, Scott. Trish? Hi, again, I want to uh, echo what Scott said. This is really a privilege to be able to share my views and and my thoughts uh, about what goes on here locally in our community. Again, my name is Trish White Boyd. I am the director for Blue Ridge Senior Services. I am not a native Roanoker, but I've been here almost 30 years, so I think um, I've made that threshold as a permanent transplant. And I'm looking forward to discussing some of the issues that uh, plague us here in the city and some of the wonderful things that are also going on. Thank you, Trish. Jose? I am also happy to be here. Um, I am... uh, I am an immigrant, uh, and my name is Jose Banuelos. I, I graduated f- from the University of New Mexico, so I've been 12 years here at Toronto College. Um, I'm an associate professor of, of Spanish at Toronto College, and um, I am uh, a member of the advisory board for uh, Casa Latina, which is an organization that works with the Latino community. And I, and I am here to share and also to learn, you know, about the key issues that are that are that are affecting the, uh, the Latino community, and hopefully we can come together and uh, work through those issues. Um, I, have, I am a permanent resident, and um, I, am, I have to work in the future towards my uh, citizenship. Okay? So my, my views at this point is to be politically f- fair and to always look for the needs of people and work towards accomplishing those goals. Catherine? Hi, I'm Catherine Cable-Stromberg, and I am so appreciative of the invitation today um, with all these people that I admire very greatly. I'm not sure that I have the um, chops to be able to speak on all these topics. <laughs> so my main, um, my main area of interest is um, 
gun issues. And I grew up in Blacksburg, Virginia, as did my husband and um, my dad. We moved there because my dad was a professor at Virginia Tech. And so the reason I started being active on this issue was um, what happened at Virginia Tech really grabbed me. Um, But um, I saw it as a moment that echoed several other moments in my life, which was um, the very first funeral that I went to was a mother of a soccer teammate. Mm -hmm. When I was 18 years old, um, she was killed in a family annihilation attempt by um, her ex-husband. And um, my my soccer teammate was taken hostage as part of the incident. Um, And it was traumatic. um, But um, there we were, 18 years old, trying to deal with that. Um, and there's plenty of 18-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 14-year-olds dealing with much, much, much more. But that's how old I was at that time. Um, and so then I remembered looking back, sitting there at a Thanksgiving dinner with my um, with my cousin, whose dad had killed himself with a gun. And I thought, wow, this is a lot. <laughs> um, and that we're dealing with a lot. It was just this moment that kind of broke me. And um, I said, I need to look into this issue and understand more and change this because um, this is not sustainable. And so in that moment, I, I started my activism on the issue. And I've been the co-founder with Mary Croft of the Blue Ridge Coalition to Stop Gun Violence. And um, the, um, excuse me, sorry, co-founder with Mary Croft of the Blue Ridge Coalition Against Gun Violence, this podcast thing, got to get the <laughs> names just right. Um, and also the co-founder of another um, advocacy organization, the Great American Gun Melt. So um, we are um, advocacy uh, touches on all kinds of issues, misogyny, um, hate crimes, um, uh, broadly, uh, all, all kinds of things, violence, um, conflict. So fun, fun, exciting topic. <laughs> oh, uh, no, thank you so much. Thank all of you for... Uh, participating in this podcast. And um, I think for the next 10 sessions, 10 episodes, I think we're going to have uh, a very good time talking about the different issues that really impact in our community. I think it's important that we have uh, diverse ideas, really talking about it and being honest about our conversations that really, that's important in our community. Um, just a little bit about myself. Again, my name is Robert Jeffrey. I'm uh, the moderator for uh our voices, our community. Um, a little bit about myself. I'm a native of Roanoke. Uh, went to Hampton University, uh, gra- and, and also a graduate of William Fleming High School, Scott. So we actually went to high school together. Um, then after I left Hampton, went to uh, Seattle, where I became a newspaper executive at the Seattle Times. Um, because of the passion about community and and, and stories, great stories that impact our community. Uh, was enrolled at Northwestern University at the Medill School of Journalism, Kellogg School of Business, and also did an internship at the Washington Post. Uh, really gave me a, a better awareness, awareness about uh, stories and about the importance of media that really truly impacts our community. Um, left the Seattle Times and started uh, Colors Northwest Magazine, which is a publication that was in the Pacific Northwest uh, for there for 12 years. We won over 70 journalism awards and um, in one uh, magazine of the year. Um, recently moved back to Virginia in four years ago, four and a half years ago, and I started Colors VA Magazine to really talk about diversity and inclusion in the area. So um, now that we have all the introductions out of the way, let's start talking about some of the topics for discussion for the day. And one of them is about the 2018 midterm elections. Now, 
we want to have a kind of a candid, kind of laid back feel discussion about what's going on here. Um, so just pretend we're sitting in um, Trisha's living room, <laughs> having a couple of shots of whatever your favorite beverage is. <laughs> And, um, and, and, and really have an open discussion about this. And one of it is about the 2018 midterm elections. As you're aware, that uh, the Democrats have taken over the House. And so because of that, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to impact us locally. So because of that, what do you think would be the key issues here locally in our area because of that new control of the House? Well, I will start by saying, uh, and this is Trish, I will start by saying I think it's a good thing that we do have control. Um, not that, I'm, you know, I'm one of the people that would say, you know, let's impeach Trump. That is not my priority right now. I think my priority would be uh, getting the government um, up and running again. I think that there needs to be uh, some decisions made and some agreements made uh, to where, you know, we can all agree that the government needs to be up and running you would not think that it impacts us here locally, but um, in fact, it does. People won't spend money. I know I have friends who are saying their businesses um, are not doing as well because people that have money won't spend it because they don't know what's going to happen. Um, I personally have uh, some federal contracts, and although they say that uh, my area, uh, which is in home health, is not impacted, my claims are very slow being processed, if being processed at all. So um, I'm feeling it. And so I'm hoping that with the, the control of, uh, of the House of Representatives that we can all get together and come up with a, a solution or some solutions that will get our government up and running. And that's my first priority. Of course, I'm excited about all those women coming in to the House. Yay, women. <laughs> But um, that's not the important thing. The important thing for me right now is for us to have a functioning and running government. Go ahead, Scott. Well, personally, um, to kind of piggyback on what Trish just said, I'm, I'm very inspired by the uh, number of women yeah. who uh, actually were just recently elected and uh, for for reasons that I won't get into right now are really why well, not, why not Scott? Well, Scott, we're, we're having we're having beverages at the coffee yeah well, you know, house. I, we, we're not going to talk about <laughs> you know profanity being used and things of that nature but we'll have uh, to edit that out yeah for 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 lack of a better way to say it you know we've got some firecrackers in Congress now um, and and also on the state level so that that to me kind of shows you know uh, an ascension. Of, of what's going on with voters. Um, you know, also what, what Trish was kind of pinpointing was the economic impact that a lot of things that are going on nationally are having sort of a trickle down. Um, you know, right now we're, we're sort of faced, you know, with this shutdown. Uh, the, the talk is people who are on public assistance will soon possibly be faced without that assistance unless somebody, you know, does something pretty drastic. So, you know, um, I, I think that the, um, it, there, there's a movement uh, against uh, political foolishness, <laughs> for lack of a better word, right now. And uh, like I said, that's pretty inspirational, and I'm hoping that we will continue to move forward beyond the midterms. Just to piggyback on that, because the House is now in control, now the Democrats have subpoena power. 
And so do you think that that's going to bring things ahead with the Trump administration? Well, I personally can't wait to see Trump's taxes. <laughs> this is gathered. Um, I'm sure the rest of us can't wait to see what's in there either. Um, I don't know. I think that right now we're just in this great stage of not knowing because he has hidden so much from us. No president has ever hidden. I, I, I mean, there's not a governor of Virginia who's hidden so much from the people before being elected. Right. Um, you know, this man is completely opaque in his business dealings. Mm -hmm. He's still got all his businesses are still, you know, in his name and, and collecting money from foreign entities. And I have all kinds of interesting thoughts about exactly who's paying him and how. <laughs> Russia, NRA. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, this is Jose. I think uh, one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is, uh, since people have a very short memory <laughs> of things, um, are they going to still look at the economic progress you know, as the main force for the Trump administration and just push to the side these other issues? And I think that's a question that that we really have to ask ourselves, you know, are people just going to ignore these other facts? And I think you mentioned at the beginning the role that media plays. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, the last two years, media has always, um, has, or this double-edged um, double sort of media, okay, who's telling the facts, even though there's a group that says, for example, no, your your two major media sources, you know, CNN and, and uh, Fox News, they're always going against each other. So people are actually looking into that. And uh, I tell you this because um, we've lost many friends along the way in the last two years uh, because they are Trump supporters. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I am an immigrant. I don't have uh, political views in which I say, I'm, I'm going to go out and vote because I can't vote. That's why I have to become a citizen. Right. <laughs> but the fact that I open my mouth and I say, this is what I don't, uh, um, I don't accept this or I don't, know, I, I don't agree with that, I am going against the political views of these friends. And suddenly, you know, these friends have started to move, move away because I don't agree with what they think. And what is interesting is that their political views are actually based on what they hear through, uh, through media. Me, as a researcher, I have to go and research before I open my mouth. No, But for them, they are not researchers. They don't like to read. The first thing that comes to their mind is that. So going back to your question about the, uh, about the subpoena, I think it's important to have transparency. And if you have to do that in order to have transparency, which can gives us a much more um, uh, uh, transparent picture of what is this administration about, for example, no, um, I think... That's that's important. We we have to have the truth out, mm -hmm. and I think if we have to find ways to get to the truth, we really need to get to the truth, and we need to show the truth to the people, and the people will make their final decision. Again, that's why I I ask about the question: Are they going to really look at these key issues about? Um, an administration that is not being transparent and it's not being truthful versus, well, this is an administration that, that, is, that is actually moving forward in the economy. But then again, we can have a whole conversation, like you said, Scott, you know, about, about the economy only, and we can say, is it, it's really the economy benefiting a certain sector of society? 
yeah. or it is just a benefiting that 10%. Okay. No. Yeah. And we can also, you want to go ahead, Catherine? Yeah. I was going to say, we can also say that the economy um, is doing well, which it has been doing well for some years now, even during President Obama's administration, which they don't give uh, him a lot of credit for. But I think the tariffs are not going to help this economy at all. The, uh, the American companies that are, are buying these imported goods are the ones that are paying these tariffs. And, um, you know, I don't know a lot about, I'm not an economist, but I do know that there would be an avalorium or, um, or some sort of uh, specified m amount of, of taxes on these imported goods. And those are assessed to the American people. So we're the ones that are paying that tariff. So whether, you know, um, the president throws his tantrums and, you know, implements tariffs and et cetera, et cetera. I don't think that he realizes who it truly impacts. And I think that we have seen some changes in the economy because of those tariffs. And China is not paying for those tariffs. Um, the American consumer is or the, uh, the company who, who buys those imported goods. But I would not imagine any company taking that uh, brunt. Um, I would imagine that they're going to pass it on to you and me. The uh, the American consumer. It, well, you, you know, just saying that. Uh, excuse me. Just one second, Karen. I'm sorry. Um, just recently, you mentioned in December the stock market was the worst performance in what 35 years. So we we are starting to start to see the impact of that. I'm sorry, Karen. Oh, go no. ahead. Um, I thought that Trisha's point about the reimbursements from the federal government and being slow, um, of course, was super interesting. And um, just to focus on us locally here in terms of our, because a lot of a, a lot of us have changed our representative, but not necessarily his point of view. Um, so I don't know if well, most of us most of us um, were represented by Bob Goodlatte. Bob. <laughs> um, and now it's Ben Klein, right? Right. So um, I certainly, for one, am super happy that Bob Goodlatte is no longer chair of the Judiciary Committee. Yes. Now, I was just trying to look up, but I couldn't find it, who the new chair of the Judiciary Committee will be. But I think it will be someone much, 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 much more to our liking. Right. <laughs> so I'm super excited about that, um, the House Judiciary Committee. Hmm. Um, and so I'm looking forward to Bob no longer being able to pocket every good gun bill that ever came before him, never even made it, it wasn't even debated. Bob the yeah, Bob the blocker, exactly. What was what all was he blocking? He was blocking the Voting Rights Act, right? Mm -hmm. He was blocking all the good gun legislation. Um, you know, he sat down with so many parents of victims of gun violence and just looked at them in their faces and said, no, I'm not even having debate on these issues, mm -hmm. um, which to me is unconscionable to look at people who have been suffering in that way and to just say, no, you're not, your suffering is not even worth speaking about and having a debate on it and open debate. And I think that's just proof of how weak the Republican position on the gun issue was that Bob was not willing to have an open debate. Now, is Ben Klein better? No, <laughs> but he's not chair of the House Judiciary. So yay. <laughs> um, now in terms of, um, in terms of, oh, the Violence Against Women Act. That's the other one. Oh, Bob the Blocker had all sorts of things locked up, didn't he? Mm -hmm. um, so he had all kinds of awful things that he had. He was keeping um, sequestered. And so the other thing that I think is kind of interesting for 
our area is didn't our representative way back in the last serious um, impeachment talk and, and real um, corrupt um, presidency, that last one that of, from the Roanoke Valley, which was Nixon, right? Mm-hmm. They, he, he voted for... He vote did the, did did he vote the guy from the Roanoke Valley? Did he vote for? He was a Republican, but I swear he voted for something against Nixon. I don't remember what that was. We might have to look look that up at yeah, some point. But I swear he and I don't see Ben Klein doing that ever, wow. unfortunately. Well, we can we can get Karen, our researcher, to research that and come back to that. Um, but as a great segue of talking about gun legislature, let's talk about on a state level. Um, Governor Ralph Northam is making uh, an aggressive push to revive gun safety proposals that the GOP lawmakers killed in the last year's General Assembly session. So what his sense is is to create a democratic momentum as as the legislature starts this week. So let's talk a little bit about uh, his proposals. And one of his proposals that he mentioned was the extreme um, risk protective order that, that was sponsored by um, Delegate Rip Sullivan and Senator George Barker, which allow a court to temporarily prohibit someone from access to their, to their firearms if the person has been found to pose a danger to themselves and others. So, um, Catherine, you're kind of an expert gun control um, yes. So you want to expound on that? So this is a great proposal. Um, it really gives us the chance to give people maximum freedom while also protecting other people. Because right now, if you think about this moment, what are our choices? So if someone is a danger to themselves and they and you're a parent of someone who's threatening to kill themselves, all right, and, and the person is 21 years old, they can easily go purchase a firearm, all right? And you have, even if they're living with you, you know, if they're an adult, you have no control over them. Um, and you cannot possibly, even though they're making these threats, you can try to take them to the hospital and you could try to have them committed against their will where literally all their rights will be taken away. They won't be able to move about the community. They won't be able to, ex- you know, they'll be jailed in a hospital bed, essentially. Um, now, that's our current Situation: either total freedom to go out and buy a gun, even though you're saying I'm suicidal, I'm thinking about buying a gun. You know, you can be th- saying all these things, and your parents or your loved ones can't do anything about it now. Or they can go to the hospital and say, "Jail this person." And I think we know that jails are not a great solution to our problems. So now we have this intermediate step where someone can still be out going to see their friends, feel some freedom, feel like, "Hey, I I am still in control of my life. I can get what." is happening to me and with me under control and work on it in a loving environment where I can seek treatment. I can see what's, you know, I can keep some of my routines and keep some of my freedom instead of feeling like I'm in this horrible struggle with my parents and law enforcement and, you know, whatever's going on that we have this middle way where, okay, you just can't have guns while you're in this crisis period. And I think it's this really great opportunity. My uncle was in that situation exactly. And he was 
almost forced into a hospital Mm -hmm. and he came home and he killed himself because they wouldn't admit him. So, um, you know, we have some of the highest gun violence out in Southwestern Virginia in the region. Um, and it's mostly suicide. People think because of the news, news, media stories, the news does not report on suicides um, because they're worried about the contagion effect. But what they do overwhelmingly report on is interpersonal violence, like one person shooting another person because that's more public. Okay, but the vast majority of our violence is something entirely different. And here we all are concerned about one thing when really we just completely abdicate concern for another when it's the most important and most and highest level of problem that we have out here. So, mm, yeah. Scott? Absolutely. Well, you know... <laughs> I don't want to get Catherine riled up. We, we, I don't. I don't know if we're prepared for that. But um, she makes some valid points. But you know, the one thing that kind of stands out, especially about living in Southwest Virginia, and if you've been here for 15 years or more, uh, you know, unfortunately, we are home to I think still the biggest mass massacre in in U.S. history. So. The, the Virginia Tech issue, you know, will always resonate with us here. Uh, I can still remember that day very vividly, just like I could, you know, 9-11. Um, and even though it was not gun violence, uh, Senator, State Senator Cree Deed, uh, the situation when he and his son, where his son stabbed him and, and attacked him, and, and unfortunately um, his son was eventually killed, uh, that's one of the things that had to really sort of magnify, even even for gun violence, um, the the rub between mental health uh, accommodations. I mean, actual physical accommodations where there's not enough room uh, in a mental health facility to house someone in crisis, uh, and, and then to to continue to allow them to have access to firearms. I mean, there, there couldn't be a more volatile uh, cocktail. So, you know, we, we should never sort of um, be surprised by the end results of, of this as well. Go ahead, Kat. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think Cree's son, actually, that was gun violence. Um, he attacked Cree with a knife, but right. um, then I think he did was he the the reason he died, I believe, was suicide yeah, yeah, with yeah. a gun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So, um, so what about the um, part of his bill, a package of bills that he's um, introducing or will be introducing is uh, universal background checks for firearms, um, a ban assault weapons and also resurrect the state purchase limit of one handgun per month. What are your thoughts on those proposals? <laughs> There's no Trish, brainer? Trish is whispering no brainers in the no corner. Brainer. <laughs> well, what about, uh, let me be the devil's advocate, purchase of one handgun per month? I mean, so what, 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 what will that do if you already have a handgun? I mean, you only can you only have two hands well, unless I mean, unless, I mean, unless you pistol, pistol Pete. I mean, so, I mean, I mean, tell me. So, uh, tell me so I love this that. legislation. Yeah. So I will tell you why. Um, I love this legislation because what it does is it stops our gun trafficking problem. Now, mm. 
for the history buffs amongst us, we had the governor who passed this was Governor Wilder, our first oh, black wow. governor. Yeah. So, um, and he knew what he was doing because what we were doing was we were funneling guns. There were these bad apple gun dealers who kind of knew, wink, wink, nod, nod, that the guys were coming from New York and then shipping, you know, and, and running guns. Um, and they were coming to Virginia to do it. And these bad apple gun dealers were pocketing the profits and faced no legal consequences. And so what he did was he just cut off that access. And I think this is brilliant because what it does is it doesn't, it, it does so little to criminalize anyone except the gun dealer if they don't comply. So the only person, because we have this problem of over-criminalization of things, but in this case, it's just so focused on the actual sale of the product. It's brilliant. Like that's the choke point that you need to stop this um, excessive, like when you, when you just, um, you know, if you have a room and you have a hundred people in it and a hundred guns, nobody's safer. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like that, that we just have all these rooms with a hundred people all armed. And if one of them gets mad, you're in trouble. Um, so that, that's the idea. So I think it's great. So, and what about the, um, the criminal background checks? Um, do you think that's going to help? And I'm just asking you, Catherine, because I know you pay attention and you follow this. Do you think that's going to help um, dis- decrease the number of guns that are sold, or is it going to make a difference? So I do think it'll make a difference in that I think that it'll just have people will think twice. And I think anytime you have people thinking twice, like, you know, I don't, I don't think we're necessarily going to solve gun violence with one piece of legislation, but anytime somebody says, oh, well, um, I might've sold it to, um, this guy I know down the street or someone I met on Craigslist when it was legal. Well, now that I face some consequences potentially for doing an illegal thing, like I'm actually the vast majority of us are interested in complying with the law, we just go to the local gun shop, have them run the check. Um, you know, we're, we're complying with the law. And then, um, you know, that turns out that guy we met on Craigslist, maybe he wasn't such a great guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> more accountability. Yes. So that's definitely a good thing. Yeah. Well, as we, uh, well, we'll learn a little bit more down, down the road, what exactly if, if governor, Nor- governor Northam is actually going to get some approval on this, I, I know we still have a re- Republican-led um, legislature, so we'll, we'll see what he can do. Um, so as we talk about other issues of the day, um, one of it is, is a uh, resolution that the city of Roanoke uh, uh, created uh, a while uh, ago. Uh, I can't put dates on this right now, but um, they just approved a, a, re- a resolution for the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, apparently, if um, the state of Virginia uh, ratifies that, that would be the 38th state to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. And I believe that will put us into a constitutional mode. Is that my correct? And I, I'm, I'm leaning on the ladies here. <laughs> the men should know this, too, but I just want to... Yes, that is correct. And also make history. And, you know, what really baffles me is that we are still having this conversation, you know, a hundred and so plus years later because um, my sorority, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, actually marched uh, during 1913, you know, in the Women's Suffrage mm-hmm. March mm-hmm. to uh, have equal rights. And, and then to ratify them came years later and years later, and we're still trying to ratify the ERA 
a hundred and some years later. It is just amazing that we're at this point. But the good news is that it is. Uh, it looks like we are on the cusp of that happening, and I think Virginia is going to be the 38th state. Um, I'm not sure what role city council played in doing that because I know it has to be a state uh, ratification. So um, I'm interested to hear, you know, what impact city council will have. But I am excited about that. I'm, I'm glad that we're a part of it. There are events all over the state uh, celebrating this moment. And um, women have a lot to be proud of, although this is not something that um, we should have to wait 100 years for. I think it should have happened a long time ago, but I'm not going to get stuck on that issue. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's all right. Well, let me ask you this. Um, and, you know, I always try to bring a devil advocate to this question then I hope the ladies here don't get mad at me <laughs> um, so why what's the need of doing this I mean we we're I, we're in a society right now that we all know understand and in a lot of ways the importance of women and and I see as Catherine about to grab her mic and <laughs> but um, why not I mean we we talk about affirmative action for for African Americans um, we some people don't feel like affirmative action is needed because we now in this society that we're all equal among each other in some eyes. Now I'm not. I'm just saying that's not the reality of it. But but a lot of ways we we're thinking about that in its government. You know we're all we're all women. We're all African Americans. We do, why do we need this special um, amendment to kind of to keep us moving? Well, I think that you're right in some ways. So we are increasingly relying on the economic power of women, and we know that we can't um, just fire all the ladies and send them home to the kitchen, that's for sure. <laughs> Talk about economic collapse. Um, of course, that you know, it's always been true that a lot of women have worked outside of the home, often in others' homes. And you know, Trish owns, um, owns a business where she provides home health care. Um, and so you know, we, we know that women in the workplace are... Um, are disproportionately needed, but also disproportionately discriminated against, especially around issues of pregnancy and um, having kids. And where um, men can't get pregnant, women can. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've, I personally have had friends who've been fired from jobs for the sin of getting pregnant, and they were never told, oh, that's the reason why. But I think once we have this Equal Rights Amendment, we'll have so much more protection and a greater deal of scrutiny to instances like that. And I just don't think that we have the right kind of protection for stuff like that right now. And I do think that we need to provide those protections to women um, because our, our labor is valuable. <laughs> Well, th thanks to President Obama in the Lilly Ledbetter Act, um, we, we do have equal pay, or we are supposed to have equal pay. It is still up to the employer uh, to, uh, you know, to, to do it and to make sure that this is what's happening. But um, I think it's unfair that we're in, in 2018, and, and we may or may not even be paid the same thing. Um, you know, Robert, you are an, your own business. Um, yeah. And Scott, you're self-employed or an entrepreneur. But for those women who are in the workplace, depend on that fair and equal treatment. And it's a shame that you have to be forced to do that by law. And uh, this is where we are. And this is why it's that ratifying the ERA is still important. All these things are, are, are still issues for us. And I want to add a little bit more here. Um, one question that I actually have is, what does what does race and ethnicity play, you know, in these uh, types of laws? Um, 
in comparison with Latino men, um, for every dollar that a that a that a white man gets paid, Latino men get paid maybe like seventy cents for that dollar. And if you tag along the uh, Latino woman, Latino women get paid like less than a Latino man. Okay, so um, I like this idea, and um, as a professor of uh, gender studies. We always touch on on on, uh, on uh, these topics, and we always look at the concept equality. What does equality mean? What does that really mean? Um, when we go back to uh, Trish mentioned Obama years, um, when Obama was elected as uh, as 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 a president, and as everybody knows, uh, um, a lot of people started to say that racism was no longer <laughs> in America. No, <laughs> that it doesn't exist because finally there was a black president. No, well. Um, uh, where do we leave the Latinos there? <laughs> do we need a Latino president um, or a Latina president to say, truly, there's no <laughs> racism in America now? I don't know, Jose, because, you know, and, and, I, and I just want to just interject real quick. I think the race issue got worse when President Obama was elected. Um, it really brought out more racism. People were angry, and um, the gun violence seemed to have increased. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying these things are associated with uh-huh. his presidency, but it's just kind of ironic that these things sort of uh, happen uh, right after he became president. Uh, they kind of lost it. And I was leading into that. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 but thank you, thank you. Thank you for mentioning that, because I was actually heading towards that. And... Um, um, uh, uh, Going going back, you know, to um, uh, the role that Latino the Latina women play now in in the society, um, we have more Latinas being uh, elected to to um, official positions. You know, mm-hmm. in the state of Virginia, for the first time in its long history, we got two Latinas in the uh, in the uh, state house, and these two Latinas are actually fighting for women issues, you know, mm-hmm. women rights, uh, um, um, and and I'm I'm glad to actually see that uh, the the percentages of the Latino. Uh, Representatives, you know, at the state and uh, and uh, federal level, have actually increased 174 percent, you know, since uh, 2010. So we have, you know, a bigger number of Latina women coming into high state positions, you know. And um, my 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 only um, uh, my only concern is that they're going to be facing, you know, a lot of obstacles. But hopefully, you know the Latino population comes together in order to push these issues forward. And uh, one of them is women's rights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Jose, I'm glad you, you kind of brought the Latino perspective because, you know, one, one thing about ERA, uh, the civil rights movement, they, they, they have these faces, you know. There was a time when ERA was just absolutely 100% about women. Uh, now, we, we sort of all benefit from sort of the, the, you know, the trickle down from, from these successes. And it, it's sad that in, in 2019 still, uh, no, 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 I'm, I'm just, I have, to, I have to be conscious of the fact that we are now in 2019, but, you know, pretty much everything happened in 2018. But, you know, it's just, it's, it's one of those things where there are black people in America who take ownership of the civil rights movement, period. And they're even offended when anybody else sort of tries to piggyback off of it, take advantage of it, whatever the case might be. But it's just like, you know, you can't just say, well, you know, this can only work for us. Okay, 
because now you know there is a push uh the lgbtq is that correct is that yes. that that community uh we we all benefit from their evolution okay uh they have a tendency to sort of want to exclude non lgbtq members so you know it's like you know you you can't expect growth and and advantages and the people that live around you can't take you know you can't have the big shade tree in your backyard and get mad because you look over and see your neighbor in, in a lawn chair with, with a drink and, and, and an umbrella in it okay so you know that that's pretty much what sums it up to me so um you know uh trish just mentioned you know having the success of president obama uh it worked for the country it worked for the world uh, but there's a certain demographic of people who just thought that was and still think that that's the worst thing that ever happened to America. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I, and I think one of, one of the key factors that need to be addressed is fear. You know, how do we address that yeah. key factor? Um, um, uh, for the Latino community, um, I think that's a, that's a major obstacle, you know, mm. especially when we deal with the uh, theme of immigration. And in my perspective, I I feel, you know, and it impacts locally because we do have a large population here that that is uh, uh, undocumented, you know. And even though healthcare, um, uh, uh, economic growth, you know, it's part of the key issues of of this community, immigration seems to be like like the big topic. But I feel that immigration is actually used to a certain degree to cloud other 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 key factors that have to be addressed. You know? So if we can find a way you know, to work with the fear, um, unfortunately, this administration, it's all about fear. You know? it's, all about, it's all about producing fear in people. You know? it's, it's being divisive in a way, and it's not being inclusive. It's not I- integrating you know, uh, the different uh, groups in, in, in our communities. So... When you talk about LGBT, TTT, you know, they, they add other things to it. They still want to be um, uh, separated in some particular way. Why? Because of the fear. No. Yeah. yeah. But we don't have an administration that creates a society. A philosopher once said that the people are the image of a, uh, of a government. So if you have a government that, that, is, that is instilling fear in people, you're going to have more and more divisiveness. Mm -hmm. So you have groups operating just by themselves, but we're not creating bridges, no. But uh, I mean, I am kind of hopeful that in in politics, we have more more Latino representation. We just don't know how to be be united. As um, as you tell, we have a great, we had a great discussion um, as we're wrapping up um, our, our first podcast. Uh, first of all, I want to thank each of you for participating. Um, I am, I'm going to enjoy the next couple episodes of us on this journey. Um, I see we're going to have a lively conversations about different um, subjects around our community. Um, as we conclude, um, just real quickly from each of you, what are you each thinking for 2019? What are what are the different issues do you think that we probably will be discussing down the road that you think is important for 2019 just real quickly 
2019. Well, I think that we talked about fear. Um, I think that one thing we're going to be seeing that I'm afraid of (laughs) is that um, we know from my issue um, in domestic violence that when a man feels like something that the man feels when a man feels like he deserves to control something, which I think is what Trump feels about all of us, <laughs> um, he deserves to control us. Um, that when that control is taken away, and when a when a when a woman says, "Okay, I'm going to leave this house, I'm going to leave this relationship," um, that is the most dangerous time for her. So I think that as we see this um, control and this, you know, the American people might be leaving (laughs) their president, breaking up, (laughs) Um, that he is going to lash out at us. Um, And and I think we've seen it already. So I think that's what's going to be going on. And I think that the new crop in the House of Representatives um, will be responsible for tempering that and um, helping us all feel in community with one another. Um, because even the, even the scariest folks, um, who, who really kind of irritate me sometimes with their intimidation tactics, the truth is they live here. They're our neighbors. Um, you know, we, we have to somehow find a way to be in community with them. And, you know, I don't think you can force someone to be in community with you, but you can, kind of create an environment where you say, hey, if you just calm it down a little bit, like come, you know, okay. mutual disarmament, right? Okay. Um, where we can all kind of live a little bit more, um, less in fear world and more in community world. Okay. So I hope we can do that. All right. Jose? Uh, quickly as we... Yeah. From a Latino perspective, um, <clears throat> I am thinking about the future of this nation, you know, the future of our, of our communities. And uh, if we don't address the, uh, the key issues, what's going to be the future of us? Um, we know that the Latino community is growing rapidly, you know, especially between the ages of 10 to 24, 26. So it's a very young population, and it's going to be increasing. Uh, right now, we are 50 million. Um, the calculation uh, uh, say that by the year 2060, it's going to grow out to maybe 70, 80. And by the turn of the, turn of the century, it's going to be 110, 120 million. But you have to look at a certain percentage, you know, of, uh, of that population, which is the uh, young population. So if we don't address the key issues in education, for example, healthcare, what's going to be the future of this country? Okay. Trish? Uh- 2019 is going to be a major year for for all of us, and I think when the president realizes that he is not the runaway train that he thinks he is and that he is not in full control, I think that um, there will be some backlash, like Catherine said, but I hope that the Democrats are able to caucus with others, um, the Republican Party, and address the things that really matter. Uh, In particular, uh, Black Lives Matter. I think that, um, you know, we don't talk about it enough. I know that it surfaces a lot in the black community. But there's still a lot of uh, just gun violence, um, nonsense gun violence, people getting shot and killed. You know, I run and I I like to walk and I'm thinking to myself, I hope nobody drives by and shoots me um, just because I'm black. And and it has happened. So I know that we need to talk about the economics. I know that we need to talk about all living together in harmony and all of this stuff. But I really think that, you know, we need to to make sure that the, the new representatives that we have, once they put out all the fires that are burning all over 
um, Washington, I hope that they will come back to focus on what matters to, to black men and black women, their sons um, and daughters that are walking around out there, um, that their lives matter. So I, we, we really need to go back and address that. Thank you. And last, Scott. Well, as positive as I like to be, um, I feel that, that 2019 is going to be one of the most tumultuous years um, in, in recent history. Uh, I, th I think you're going to see a, a push for impeachment uh, for President um, Trump. And um, I personally, I'm not really an advocate for an impeachment. I just want him to be a, a one and done president uh, because I feel that if we impeach him that it, it sort of sets up uh, the, the 2020 election to be something we probably never, never want to see either, <laughs> you know. Uh, but um, as Catherine and, and, and Trish kind of touched upon, uh, we, we're dealing with a volatility in a president that I've never seen, okay? Uh, you know, I've seen situations with, with elections that, that seemed a little sketchy or whatever, but I don't think any of us have ever witnessed um, maybe even a world leader as temperamental as Donald Trump, uh, who, who sort of, as we're seeing currently with this shutdown, will make the American people suffer for his own personal agenda and what he doesn't feel that he's being given. So, you know, if you're paying attention, you know, this this sitting Congress, they're about to turn things up on him. Yeah. Oh, so I just wanted to bring it back local for just to, um, sure. I had an idea. Um, so one thing that I realized while Trish was talking was that we have the opportunity in 2019 in terms of our local politics is that we have the opportunity to change over the entire Virginia Senate and the entire um, House of Delegates in Virginia again. Now we're um, pretty close to being able to basically change quite a bit. And I feel like locally, we also have changed quite a bit since um, I think that we're a little ahead of the game, oddly, weirdly, in Roanoke and Virginia sometimes. So in um, in our in our experience, we had our little Trump moment with our mayor um, going off um, and and tweeting out this statement that um, caused a lot caused us to trend on Twitter. Never good. <laughs> um, and so and then he was subsequently not our mayor anymore. Um, and so now we have the opportunity. We have completely changed city council, and we actually have the opportunity to maybe. Oh, Specific have but yes 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 <laughs> not the current mayor that's changed exactly so we we had this anti-immigrant sentiment and then that was brought back around um and and changed entirely our, our our local politics i feel had a big change in terms of their feel with the um with the change in the mayor and then the change in the in the city council again with joe cobb and juna coming on um you know providing that fresher perspective and now we have an empty seat and we could even maybe have a majority female council i don't know <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank all of you guys for participating in this. And again, you are um, listening to our voices, our community, uh, presented by Colors VA. Um, so every Thursday, you will have uh, conversations, dialogue about different issues and relevant in the community in Southwest Virginia. Thank you so much for listening to us. <laughs>